Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc disclaimer time this is where i tell everyone to lighten up it's just a podcast trading is like that roller coaster at the amusement park thrilling unpredictable and potentially stomach churning what works for one person might leave another clutching their hat in the wind our hosts and guests they're awesome knowledgeable full of insights but we're not financial advisors so don't rush to make any investment decisions based solely on our banter always consult with professional or do your own research plus let's face it we like to have fun laugh enjoy the trading ride together it's all in the name of good podcasting fun so remember take it easy don't bet the farm and keep your seatbelts on at all times thank you for listening All right, hello everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop, home of the band of traders. I'm your host, Kyle, and today I'm joined by our favorite economist, Eric Mason. Shout out to Joe in the Quincy area. Uh, <laughs> if you also found us, thanks to us interviewing your local economist, drop us a line, let us know. Do that via email at bandoftraders at gmail.com, or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to celebrate our wins, mourn our losses, and share the lessons we learned from both. We'll have those links in the episode description so you can peruse them at your convenience. And if you want to learn more about Eric Mason, you have a website as well, The Informal Economist, where people can check out uh, more of your opinions, maybe uh, try to pick a fight with you. <laughs> Hopefully, I love that. <laughs> Do you get a lot of flame wars on your uh, on the comment section, or do you just turn them off? Uh, no, I usually turn them off. I, I save Reddit for anonymous uh, posting. <laughs> Can we swear this early? I don't yeah, you can, swear. you can swear. <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure we have links for that too. Uh, how you been, man? What have you been up to since we last talked? Uh, you know, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. This has been a, an incredibly interesting year, mm. um, especially with all the Fed action. I know uh, you guys have probably heard me talk too much over the la- uh, with all our conversations we've had. I appreciate being your favorite economist. So I'm pretty sure I'm the only economist. Uh, yeah, so I, well, I wasn't going to mention <laughs> that part. <laughs> I had it written, but I drew a line through. I was like, nah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's been a, it's been a really interesting year. It's uh, I think this is probably one of the most interesting years of uh, been. I so I, this year was my tenth year as being uh, an economist, like being uh, I published ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think this is probably the single most interesting year. And I know it sounds weird with COVID, uh, but. I certainly think 2023 is one of the most interesting years we've had in the market because I think it's so dynamic and there's so many split opinions. I would agree with that. Just, uh, I mean, everybody with their opinion of the sky is falling and the market just keeps continuing to chug upwards. <laughs> we have like record unemployment, 5% uh, annualized GDP growth, annualized inflation of half a percent. And I'm being told the world's ending. And I'm like, can you point a statistic that shows me that? They're like, well, well crypto is doing okay. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. The gold at all time all right. highs, baby. No, uh... <laughs> I, I, no, but it, but it's because it's so easy to sell the negative story. Yeah. It's so yeah. like I get it, man. I wish I wish I could be negative. I think I'd be awesome. I think I'd be really good being a pessimistic prick. Well, um, but I, I would have thought you get headlines just from being the contrary opinion. If you're the only person out there shouting bullish in the next year, like you think you'd get some headlines just from that. You, you do you do get a little bit my my thing is the see like I, it's such a cheap argument to be pro to be like yelling about a recession because they've been yelling about it for the last three years yeah and it's like yeah it's gonna happen it's we like, we have business cycles the capitalistic markets be are, are, are alive they have a heartbeat they go up and down mm-hmm. and to to hear people yeah there's gonna be a recession it's like you don't get to brag when a recession happens if you've been saying it since q3 2020 like that's not <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, my plane's eventually going to land. I'm a pilot. It's like, no, it's just, of course it is. It's, like, uh, it's like Michael Burry. <laughs> you shout every year that the, or every couple months that you're taking a huge short position, eventually you're going to be right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, uh, there's this there's this strategy um, in, black, in uh, roulette where you, uh, I forget the name of it. Martingale. You double, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that works fine until you come up the wrong color on the last, on the last draw. Like, um, it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. They, they they want to be super negative, and I talk. I mean, we're economists. We're like uh, we're, we're like those uh, little fighting fish, a little beta. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Call fish. Like, we don't like talking to each other, but we all kind of acknowledge that. Like uh, we, we, we we do have to we have to propagate, so we have to occasionally <laughs> run into each other. Um, Taking <laughs> <laughs> a weird turn. God, how long but, we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I talk to economists all day long, and uh, which is horrible. It's a horrible for experience for myself, for the fellow economists. Overall, just bad for society that we talk to each other. And I can't find a statistic. I'm, I, 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 I kind of uh, I was on the pre-show. You know, obviously uh, the, the the audience wasn't here on the pre-show, but um, I, I gave a con- I was speaking at a conference last week and uh, talking about you know, hey, you know, people like to hear the contrarian, especially when it's positive news. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was going up there and I was telling people, I'm like, it's okay to. For the economy to be good, it's uh, it's not a negative thing. We don't need to be sad right. that the economy's good. That's our team. <laughs> we should yeah, be rooting right. for them. <laughs> no, it's just like I don't, I don't. How many? You know, I put it this way: How many cults are formed of people saying, "Hey, this good. The Earth is going to keep going. Right. <laughs> you don't get that cult following." Right. <laughs> no, but they got a plenty of them that think the world is flat. Oh yeah, she's sick. <laughs> it's always the kid. Who like was high as shit and couldn't pass standard like geology, mm-hmm. and now he's like on Facebook with like six kids, and like hasn't seen any of them in three years, and is the greatest scientist ever lived. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't go on Facebook anymore, man. But like sometimes I go on there, I'm like, dude, I uh, I remember one kid was flipping out, flipping out, 
mm-hmm. about uh, the city I work for. There, you know, we, we have a lot of development. We're a fast-growing city. We're one of the fastest-growing cities in New England, and uh, obviously, New England's a pretty densely packed area. And he was complaining about bad planning. This kid had two kids before he was nineteen. <laughs> I was like, "You fuck with the kettle, the kettle." kettle. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't do economics. I was just like, "Oh, it's like." No, man, it's, it, it is it is it is fascinating because I think a lot of the a lot of the major indi- indicators we look at, mm-hmm. like one of them is bank health. Like we want bank, healthy banks are good for the economy. There's a crazy phenomenon going on right now, and I talked about this during my, my keynote last week, which was we see that banks delinquency rates are at an all time low. Like oh. they are people are not defaulting on 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 um, broadly are not defaulting on their loans. You, you, you'll see an, a marginal increase in credit card defaults because they were so low. Mm-hmm. And that's that's normal, to be honest with you. And Kyle, you said it great before the show. So that's kind of what's to be expected. But then banks' deposit reserves are all the way through the roof. Mm-hmm. All right, they're, they're, they're massive. But what's even crazy is even though delinquency rates are going down, there's a statistic that I don't shut up about, and I probably mentioned it 100 times. I hope I get flamed in the Discord server for this. Um, <laughs> A-L-L-L, which is the basically the allowance for losses and leases mm-hmm. um, on the balance sheet for banks. It's banks hoarding money, thinking that things are gonna ha- bad things are going to happen. Yep. It's like through the roof, and delinquency rate keeps going down, and their, depositories, and their depository holdings are crazy high. And I'm like, it's hard to have a recession with healthy banks. Like, it, it is. Yeah. It's hard to have a recession with low unemployment, which we have. It's hard to have a recession with a bunch more job, new jobs. You have four million more jobs than when the pan, the, uh, the end of the recession, pandemic induced recession. So I'm trying to find that indicator. Like I, like I listen. It's way easier to publish papers. It's way easier to speak in front of people. If you know, I'm standing there saying, "Look at this statistic," and I'm I'm, I'm at a pause because I don't I don't super see it. And one of the questions I got during my Q and A last week had a lot to do with with inflation, inflation, inflation. I'm like, is that annualized it's it's up three 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 point six percent year over year but the annualized growth rate which is a better indicator because it basically is how how is inflation trending over time mm-hmm. was half a percent and i'm like that's unbelievably good it's everybody everybody's scared to to say it but we have a soft landing on the horizon i was gonna ask you that did they actually do it did they did they stick that landing or is it still to be determined I think it's to be determined, but I'm happy to be to jump the gun and say I think there's a soft landing coming. Mm-hmm. Like reduced inflation, great GDP growth, especially with how you know volatile the world is right now. I, I I'm saying wow, this is really impressive. One of the things I said up there is that more people die from the fear of flying than flying. Like hmm. you are statistically more likely that if you're scared to fly and to drive somewhere ah, to die, yes, yes. maybe you just got on the plane. Right, right, and. <laughs> I'm seeing this right now. I'm seeing that like irrational, that irrational behavior where it's like people don't want to invest in the stock market. And I'm like, and they don't want to invest in assets because they think this, this cliff's coming. It's yeah. It's like the people who were saying, I'm not going to buy a house right now because home values could crash. And they wait two years and they could have bought a home for half a million. Now they have to buy it at 750 and it crashes down to 700. And they're like, oh good. I made more money. It's like, no, you've <laughs> lost more money. You're just trying to self-reinforce your strategy. Not only that, but uh, like people doing it because the interest rates like okay yeah interest rates may be low or you know lower a little bit down the road but the prices are not going to go you think that everybody who's waiting is not going to cause those prices to go up once they do decide to jump in and buy right right and i get it like homes right now interest rates are wicked high mm-hmm. and you know there, there's a lot of, like i'm a big believer in the three cut three cuts next year mm-hmm. um i always like to walk as you know we talked enough like i like to walk through my logic so people can more efficiently mock me later on <laughs> and i want i want to, i'm an economist i want efficiency yeah yeah um 
if we see Q1 next year, we continue to see dampering inflation. Mm-hmm. Remember, uh, Fed's target rate for, for inflation is 2%, but there's a nuance to that. It's 2% with a long horizon, five-year long horizon rate that's averaging uh, where they're aiming for 3.16%. So they're, okay. they're already kind of right in that, right in that world. Um, so if we see strong GDP growth, we're not going to see another 5% annualized growth rate. Like that's, that's crazy. You don't, you do not want the U S economy to grow at 5%. That's way too much money. Like it's a trillion dollars. We're adding a Canadian economy almost (laughs) every year. Like that's like, that's crazy. Why did that, why was that so high this year? Um, I think it was a mixture of increased oil prices Mm -hmm. and gas production prices relative to what's going on in, um, in Eastern Europe. I think I think that added a lot to it. I think the growth of AI, there was a lot of those a lot of US companies. I think there was a lot of intrinsic value add through there. Mm-hmm. Um, we also saw a lot of um, you know, it's funny, we we were this was kind of expected, just to be honest. Like, not that this is the sexiest thing to talk about economics, but when you have that supply chain crunch and you have all that pent up demand, eventually once all that supply uh, supply chain issues get worked up, you actually have a bunch of goods that were produced, which just inadvertently drives up your GDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, okay. Economies is yeah, economies the size of the U.S. We don't really want to be growing at five percent. That's going to cause like some deflationary effects, which can, which can really hurt pricing in an economy. That can really deflation isn't like everybody's like, oh, I love if deflation. My dollar's worth more. It's like, yeah, but that also means the pri- the price stickiness of what you're buying requires more dollars. So it's like it's actually oh wait a minute, you, might, you want a little bit of inflation. You might have to explain that. So wait a minute, how does disinflation actually work then? Yeah, so. Deflation, like there's two types of deflation. You have domestic deflation, all right, which is the U.S. dollar gaining value against domestic goods. Okay. Then you have international, you have international deflation, and the dollar is like the global. It's not like it is the global currency. Um, so what you end up seeing that that can be good. That that has to do more with imports, exports, and we can dive a little more into that. But in terms of domestically, which is like I care about more domestic things. Um, what can happen with deflation is that you can suddenly have large economic growth, right, mm-hmm. and that causes the expression of the economy which a lot of times relates very heavily to currency become more valuable okay. all right that's why countries like vietnam constantly depreciate their currency they want low currency because they're exporting and you get a trade advantage if you're an exporter with cheaper right currency. so yeah like when the dollar's weak then we get a lot more overseas because their purchasing power is stronger right exactly okay. now let's pretend that instead not pretend oh, sure let's pretend <laughs> all right so you gave it Kyle. you get a great example like you, you hit it right on the head like Overseas people are making decisions based on a weaker, stronger dollar. Mm-hmm. Now let's do that today. All right. But instead of person outside the U.S. economy and person inside the U.S. economy, you're inside the U.S. economy and you're deciding to buy things today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you're in a deflationary environment, which is the dollar is getting stronger, you say, can I buy more goods with this dollar tomorrow or today? Well, if it's getting stronger over time, you can buy more dollars in the future. Mm-hmm. So you may pull back on your spending. Oh, yeah, oh. it's a it, deflation's weird. Man. Yeah, I don't like everybody wants deflation. I'm like, no, no, no. I want, I want my GDP to grow, and I want my inflation to grow. Right, a little less than GDP. You want, I want people to get a little bit richer. Right, you want it. You want that steady increase. Just that. Let's just keep on marching towards the goal. Yeah, uh, I, w- I always put it this way. Like, um, if you uh, actually, I mean, you you get a really, really intelligent um, listener base. Uh, I like to think so. So they're probably <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. smarter than me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an economist. I'm the dumbest guy in every room. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an Austrian economist. I believe in the man on the spot. I believe the guy, the random guy with no economic training buying something knows way more about the economy than me. Yeah. I'm, I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world. And I, um, actually, and uh, yeah, if anybody's curious on the explanation of that, uh, we, I think you covered that in the last time we talked, didn't you? I'll, yeah. Yeah. Man on the spot. The, I love that. It's, I'll have to link that yeah. one because that was a great conversation. 
Yeah, it's like precious metals, right? If you buy precious metals, um, the bigger the p- piece of silver, the bigger the p- piece of uh, gold, the bigger discount you get mm-hmm. because it's harder to transact transact that. Think about that with a dollar. A more valuable a dollar gets, the bigger discount that must be given to deal with that transacting in a more uh, a heavier currency. Hmm. Uh, we see this with the British pound. That's why the uh, England was very smart never to never to get rid of the pound. They're an ultra developed economy. It's great to have a wicked heavy currency. They're always going to be importers. Uh, <laughs> I mean, right. um, it, it is weird. So I don't know if you guys just random side note. Uh, you got uh, there's a I forget what the uh, Hadelocks I think is how it's pronounced, but it's a form of um, a really really good fertilizer. And England has the largest deposit of it, it in called? the world, like Hadelocks or something like that. Heliolocks. Yeah, it's like the I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up on my uh, I'll Google it right now, but it's the largest, um, or sorry, it's one of the best fertilizers in the world, and England has like the largest um, deposits of it. So it's not like the uh, the guano, the back guano one. No, no, it's not, <laughs> no, we're not invading small islands off the uh, off the coast of uh, South America. I know. Here's the article. On it. That's weird that like that was like a like a, like a trade black gold. Yeah, that thing was more. Yeah. I'm surprised somebody else knew about that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, <laughs> oh, there's, there's a wicked fucked up story of uh, a shipwreck uh, on that island, and mm-hmm. like the dude, in, some random dude, ended up like taking over it, and uh, it was uh, Polly Highlight. Highlight is what it's called. Is he the guy that was well, like a mutiny or? Yeah, so he well he they put a lighthouse on this island, and uh, it was for the mining of like guano. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't think it was guano. It was bird poop. It was seagull poop. So I know guano is mostly from that. Seagull poop is nasty. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why I know that. Why do I? I don't know. But uh, yeah, so he like manages lighthouse, and the ship wrecked on it. It was a bunch of like it was a bunch of people, like women included, and uh, a bunch of the guys got together, tried to make a boat to escape. They ended up getting rocked, and uh, a lot of them died in the waves. And they end up standing on there for like two, three years. And this dude was horrible. He's like a murderer and all this stuff. And it reads like a horror story. And I'm like, I'm like watching like Jesus. a documentary on it one day. And uh, my poor wife was like, what are you listening to? I'm like, well, you listen to a lot of true crime. Mine just, just, just has people poop in it. It's not that different. Yeah, it's weird. This, uh, this poly highlight mine is, it's the biggest one in the world. And mm-hmm. it's this absolutely awesome fertilizer. It requires no refining, no nothing. Like it is unbelievably useful uh, but england has to export it and they have all these orders for like brazil from the u.s from southeast asia and they're going to run into this weird problem where it's like you're going to need access to weaker currencies like how like brazil's brazil's going through a horrible thing right now with their, their nationalization of industry uh, oh no and, they're not doing that are they yeah the new president they elected is uh let's just say he's not a huge fan of free markets yeah because like, then i don't know if he knows a free market uh, <laughs> it, it, it's gonna be wild to see what this like ultra knowledge-based economy that is england is going to do like what what, is, what are they going right. to do um they uh i mean granted 87 percent of all trade is dominating the u.s dollar but even that like you look at the you look at you know brazil's currency issues over time like they have a little bit of a challenge dealing with the U.S. dollar, mm-hmm. but now they're going, you know, they're going to the U.S. dollar to the pound. You're going to a strong currency to the heaviest currency in the world, essentially. Um, so I'm going to be very curious how this. I think they're going to. I think they're going to have all these great trade deals. They can produce like something like 22.2 megatons or whatever a year of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really do think like they'll be successful with it. Don't get it. like UK. They're going to do a great job. Um, but with that said, it's like are they going to have a huge 
loss. I mean, they're going to make money, but make less money simply because the currency trades off, trade-offs are, are going to be pretty pretty aggressive. Huh. Sounds like they need to hire you. <laughs> uh, I had actually one of my best friends. She's a she's a British economist, and she would be very qualified to do this. I don't think they like li- listening to my accent too much. <laughs> ever since we went through all that tea in the harbor, she said, don't get along too well. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Plus, Brazil's kind of scary. Didn't that the place that... Didn't they like murder one of their uh, the refs of like a football team uh, or soccer? Yeah, they cut US? off like yeah, they cut off their heads and like piked them in like the center of the field. Yeah, yeah. So like, I went w- I went to Western University, so I'm wearing my nice. I'm wearing my WVU stuff right now. <laughs> and um, you know, people like I, I have a lot, like economics is a pretty international field, so I have a lot of friends from all over the world. Mm-hmm. They always like at least especially from Europe, and they'll be like, "Oh, you guys are crazy about sports." I'm like, "Do you want I never saw like abject violence and crush syndrome?" Yeah. At our sporting events, like like England, I'm not to, I'm not gonna make a like of it, but like they have several instances instances of human crush, yeah, like so many people crushing against each other in a crowd at a soccer game that like several people die. Like I've never seen that uh, in the U.S. Not to <laughs> you ever see that Green Street hooligans? Oh yeah, like, yeah. Like, if, like I, I wouldn't go to a Raiders game, but uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> most like, of the time it's pretty you, good. Uh, you know, you're wearing a Coyotes hat, yeah, right? Yeah. So you're a, so, a hockey Love fan. Hockey. I'm a huge hockey fan. Yeah. Bruins Habs, all right? Mm-hmm. That's the nastiest game I've ever, the nastiest group of fans I've ever been with. And even then, it's not even that bad. I mean, they're Canadians. They're good people. Like, yeah. They're not going to be like, we're going to at me. Hey, uh, loser. But like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, right? Yeah. Yeah, we love college football, but what the hell are you guys doing over there with, you, with, with soccer? It seems very right. violent. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. Where were we talking about? We're talking about. Oh, I have no idea. God, fertilizer. We, 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 we oh, never, we're trying yeah. to figure out fertilizer, I think, but uh, somehow yeah. got off track there. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think that, I really do think one of like the trends we're going to see in 2024 mm-hmm. is currency. I think currency is going to be the top of the top of the market. All right? I really think that's going to be. Um, I think everything from the cryptocurrency world. I think that's very so a lot of interesting stuff going on right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the way to your traditional currency markets, I think it's going to be very very interesting. I, I think that was going to be a good indicator for how 2024 is going if we observe currency markets. And I think tracking those current currency markets over time is going to be very valuable. Um, a stable U.S. dollar is very good. Mm-hmm. All right? You're talking about somewhere between 70 to 85% of trade is in U.S. dollars or dollar-denominated trade. 57% of trade is just purely in dollars, like purely hmm. just dollars. Um, and we're starting to see that there's two, uh, there's two major currency trends in 2024 that I think are important to follow. Um, I think the one, I'm going to go with the shorter one first, because the latter one is, I think, the biggest joke that I've ever heard in economics. <laughs> but the, the former one is what's happening with the Central African franc. Um, it's, you're probably aware this, uh, the Central African franc is uh, what Central African Republic, Niger, a lot of these places in uh, Central Africa use. It's a broken system. Is Niger the one that's been like, or which is the one that's like really growing and like has its own like version of Bollywood? Is that like? Zaire or oh, one of those? I think that's Sierra, uh, Sierra Leone. I think Maybe. Um, I know there was. Yeah, it's uh, Niger is the one that just had the coup. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so one of the weird parts, I'm going to tell you, I don't know, how, like, you probably know this, Kyle, but how the Central African Frank works is like the weirdest thing in the world. No, I do not know this. So <laughs> uh, that'd be weird if you're like, oh, yeah, no, very, yeah, yeah, right. very, uh, <laughs> See, very my tiny. problem is I think I'm normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think, like, I think I'm normal. <laughs> I live with myself. I know. I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, in the Central African franc is the most backwards. Like, I'm not somebody who likes to use the word neocolonialism, but it's just straight up neocolonialism. 
Uh, so all these African nations that are booming, growing, some of the fast-growing economies, fast-growing populations in the world use the Central African franc. Mm-hmm. They take their farm currency reserves, they give them to France. France then charges, the French Central Bank charges Central Af- countries that use Central African franc interest for holding their own money. It'd be like if a bank was charging you negative interest. Are you serious? How do they get away with that? Yeah. Uh, because, like, no- nobody, like, really talks shit about, like, <laughs> countries like France and Belgium and stuff who do, like, really messy things that you're like, what, what are you, what are you like, up to, guys? <laughs> like, I've been, I've been like, reading a lot about the, like, the way China's been, like, uh, you know, funding a lot of the stuff that goes on, like, a lot of that development and basically putting these countries into, like, crippling debt. <laughs> I haven't heard. At least they're not doing that. They're not loaning them their own money. Yeah. So they do that, and then they control the flow in the you know how much you know how many fun, the number of dollars that exist or the number of francs that exist in um in these countries. Now, like that's problematic if you're a growing economy, especially with export. And let's think, there's a couple countries that have this certain thing called cobalt mm. and lithium yeah. in their yeah. soils yeah. that are purely exportive industries. And you're like enforcing this heavy, very difficult to trade currency on these countries, and they can't exploit their natural resources for gains. Oh, and then you're also in Niger charging like ten percent of market value for the uranium you need for your power plants. Like money and energy are the two things that run the world. Yep. And then you're surprised when Niger has a coup and throws you out. <laughs> like, what? Good for them. What are you? Yeah, like. You know, here's the thing: like, I don't support juntas and stuff like that. I'm not trying to. Not that any junta or anybody in geopolitics gives a shit what I say. Right. But I'm just like, sometimes it makes sense. Like, like, oh, I burnt myself when I touched something hot. Like, that's not like I don't want people to burn themselves. I'm just saying that, not a surprise. Yeah. Um, so I think like if that stabilizes, I love that Niger kicked out us, uh, kicked out France, and the U.S. was just they were like, no, you, no, you, you're fine. You're not, like, you're not doing anything bad. You're just like. <laughs> You guys, you trained our military. Finally, it wasn't this, like, finally some love. <laughs> and there, it wasn't like this bloody coup. They're like, like white, like a white glove coup. Like they, they arrest. It's not what's like going on in, in Burma, right, or, Bina, right. or Bina, whatever you want to call it, which is horrible. Um, no, it's France. Yeah, yeah, right. And then France, they, they didn't want to take out their, their they didn't want to take out uh, their diplomat. Like they want to remove them. And like they're saying all this bad stuff about Niger, and like the Niger military is like protecting the the, uh, the embassy. I'm like, dude, just leave! Just like, go, you, like yeah. come on, <laughs> you stole a bunch of their shit and then didn't give them their money. <laughs> like, you're not just the guy go. Here. just leave, <laughs> just get out of here. It's like when France was talking shit about us when uh, AUKUS formed, and we gave like all the nuclear power. We gave uh, 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 Australia about the nuclear submarines from us, and they're like. They're like talking shit with us, and we're like, dude, what, what are you doing? Like, spend more on military defense. You don't get to, you don't get to do right. well. <laughs> Um So I think that I think that's a big indicator because we talk about you know energy is going to dominate the future, and I think cobalt, as bad as it is, is something that for better or worse we're stuck with. The other thing, which is the biggest, and I love it, and I'm going to take a lot of hate for this. And I really, I really will appreciate getting let up on this. The biggest joke in economics right now is bricks. Bricks, like. Yeah, the uh, the new currency that Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa are trying to form to fight the U.S. dollar. Oh, I was going to ask you about that, how that was going. It's so funny. I think it's the funniest thing in the world because it's like this big boogeyman. But it's like if dude, it's like if you made Frankenstein's monster out of like women mannequins. It's just it's just creepy, not scary. It's not going to hurt you. <laughs> it just, oh my it God. just gives you nightmares. So, like, <laughs> yeah, right. So. 
So I felt bad. So I'm at, so I'm at, the, I'm at this conference last week. And I got to be careful because, like, Kyle, you and I can talk and I can go off the rails a little bit more. But you had a formal conference where they're like, you know, they expect some sort of decorum. No, I've, 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 I've heard uh, some of the things you've done in some of these conferences. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't come to my conference. <laughs> but, like, okay, so I have it up on the screen. I have it up, like, uh, up there, big, big slideshow. Beautiful campus. Obviously, the company was amazing. I won't name drop them because they probably want not to be associated with me. Um, <laughs> No, but I'm up there and I'm like, okay, so bricks. I go, this is the biggest joke. I there's so many news articles. The downfall of the US dollar. Bricks, bricks, bricks. I'm like, all right, let's let's just break this apart. You got Brazil, which is currently nationalizing industries, falling apart, hyperinflation, garbage economy, hitting hitting in the worst direction. Russia, which is a petroleum station with nuclear weapons, and right. I know this because I pumped gas for the first 20 years of my life. Um, <laughs> then you got India, India and China. India and China can't put the same map of their countries on like at these conferences because they can't agree over who owns the cashmere reason. And they're going to have a unified, they're going to have a unified currency. China, which just lost 200 million people off their population because they're reporting their data wrong. They're knocking down buildings. They have to sell like they, they they're selling condos. They're selling apartments with gold. God, Don't get me started. You're lucky if they even built it yet. (laughs) When you buy a house from them. And they're cutting rates because they have tons of debt. And they're like, look at all this infrastructure. China's poured more concrete since 2000. The U.S. has poured in all the 1900s. I'm like, yeah, that's not smart. I can just go pour concrete. That doesn't make me a brilliant architect. (laughs) (laughs) concrete. Um, And then the funniest one to me is South Africa. Mm -hmm. Like, do you guys know how shitty your organization has to be if South Africa makes the billing? It's like when you see a really shitty movie and you're like, oh, how bad is it? And you judge by the actors because the top named actor is some person you've never heard of. how how small is South Africa? Boston, Massachusetts, just Boston, not the state, has produced has a GDP that's fifty billion dollars higher than the entire economy of South Are Africa. You serious? They, they, they have rolling blackouts. They haven't produced another kilowatt of energy of new energy capacity in thirty years, and Jesus. they're part of those big scary people who are going to beat us. You got you got a failing South American economy. You have. I was still, uh, uh, what do you call it? International pariah who can't even sell Goyle anymore. Uh, and you have two countries who can't agree on a border in like in South Africa. South Africa can write its own jokes. Yeah. Like, Elon Musk. It, it's like, it reminds me of mortgage backed securities in the early, in like the 2008. Like, you can, just because you make a can of shit and cut it in half and say one part, well, this the top part of the can of shit is the premium shit can. You're still buying a, 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 can of, a can of shit. Like, that has not changed. <laughs> Uh, bricks, bricks gets, gets me over. I don't like bricks. All right, so uh, no need to worry about uh, don't need to worry about the dollar's uh, dominance going forward. Then sounds like. <laughs> what about uh, you mentioned that the banking industry being like super strong? Um, one of the headlines I do remember seeing was about the unrealized bond losses that a lot of these banks are carrying. Um, sounds like maybe that's what some of those reserves are that they're carrying is to to help pay for that. Like, is, is it enough? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think it is. So currently, we have about $3 trillion in uh, refinancing action that's going to take place mm-hmm. through these um, unreal, kind of unrealized losses. is a great way to word that. That's actually, like, I was going to, like, that's exactly what I realized. Yep. Um, so I sell, in a given year, I probably sell two to $300 million of bonds, uh, give or take, both short, short duration and long duration. Um, so yesterday, uh, three days ago, yeah, what's it, three days ago, I sold bonds and they part out at 113. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, they were selling, thir- you know, thirteen percent over okay. on day of sale, which is kind of crazy, and that has a lot to do with you know future tax. Like I sell tax free bonds, so that has to do with future tax obligation. Um, one of the 
things that makes that very awkward is that if you buy a bond at 113 at, at 113 value, all right, and you see rates increase, even though you're still getting that that payment on the bond, your bond lost value. Even though you're going to get more dollars back than you paid for it, huh. a bond going from 113 to 105, let's say, is a loss. Yeah. And that's quite interesting because you you've made money. Bonds are bonds are very weird to price because a bond isn't for today; it's for tomorrow. Um, so I think that three trillion dollars. See, my 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 concern, and listen, I I think the economy's gonna be great next twelve to eighteen months. I think it's gonna be pretty solid. Um, but I th- I don't want to come off and say it's gonna be there's gonna be all roses. Right, right. There's gonna be no thorns. Uh, I, I think the point you bring up is very good. Uh, I think we will see. Can the market price that? now? Now there's a great statistical series on the Federal Reserve Economic Database called HQM or High Quality Market Bonds. And basically, it's th- it synthesizes at different durations, one, five, ten, twenty year, and even thirty year notes. And when you can you can see how the market is pricing itself by looking at the gap between the one, the five, the five and the ten, right, and the ten and right. the twenty, and twenty and thirty. And uh, actually, on my LinkedIn a little while ago, I, I made a post about this. So uh, this is a right on. Like, this is a discussion that I enjoy. And what we're seeing is that this sort of interesting rate compression that shouldn't be there. Hmm. Right, a one year note should not a one year note should not be selling the same term as a five year bond. That that doesn't super no. make sense. We're not pricing in risk properly. Um, so with that said, I think we are going to see rates increase. In these five-year bonds, as we see this three trillion dollars getting refinanced over the next, it's the next thirty-six months. But in reality, it's the next year. Like most of that's going to be done in, in, in a year. Um, so I think you're going to see rates increase the way they should be doing. I mean, my my municipality, we we sold we sold we've been selling debt in the three and a half percent range. Mm-hmm. Well, treasuries are at five point five percent. I'm like, I get it. Treasuries are tax, munis aren't, but they're not two percent. It's not two percent difference. Right. Um, that's because we're having a real hard time expressing proper risk. Uh, because we've had so much liquidity flooding to the market, the economy grew and the stock market gained value in this similar situation between 2012 and 2020. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that stopped that was a global pandemic. So as much as that makes me go, oh, okay, is that going to be – the question is not do we have the ability to absorb it. Banks have the ability. Banks have you know several trillion dollars in capacity to actually borrow and absorb this mm-hmm. money – or sorry, to lend out and absorb this debt. Will people want to refinance it? at the level they're going to have to. They probably will. You might, you're much better at refinancing than defaulting. <laughs> right. it, they just won't have as much initial liquidity because of that refinancing. And that could put stress on net income. Mm-hmm. But again, we did see this at similar rates when the economy was growing and the stock market was growing. So I'm a little more hesitant to say it's going to be something that hurts the economy, but it's something that you should have to take a, uh, you should absolutely keep an eye on. Absolutely keep an eye are on. Are you um, are you having trouble selling any of the bonds that you're putting on the market, or is the appetite still been pretty strong? We were seven times oversubscribed last okay. week. We did thirty million, and we had two hundred million dollars in offers. Because there have been headlines um, about the the treasury debt that's uh, been seeing lackluster demand, but is that just uh, is that just somebody manipulating some stats to make it look worse than it is? Yeah, a little bit. It's also uh, treasury debt's taxable. Yeah. And right now, so people are scared right mm-hmm. now what, what, about rate hikes, yeah. right? Do you, if you, so the, this is weird. Treasury treasury is weird because you're the guy saying what the interest rate is. Right. You, 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 well, the government, US government saying what the interest rate is. And you're like, I don't, I'm not going to tell you. Market, what do you want to buy it at? What do you want to buy it at, market? What do you want to buy it at? Well, what's the interest rate? I'm not, I'm not showing right, you. Right. I'm not showing you. Because you may not want to buy it if you think rates are going to go up. Because if you buy it at a par value of 100, 
and then the Fed raises rates, well, congratulations, your bond just had an unrealized mm-hmm. loss because the, it now has a lower than market coupon rate. Like when you saw my debt, my debt says 5% on the coupon rate. It says 5%. Says 5% mm-hmm. And then you pay me premium based upon that. And that reduces the value. I have some years where my bond payment's negative, which is always wild. <laughs> like if you have a company by a big sleeve, like BlackRock mm-hmm. or... Uh, it, by the way, shout out to the Indian and Cor- the Indiana Corn Farmer Pension Fund, which buys a ton of Quincy debt. Like just a Indiana, ton. Huh? You're gonna send those guys a letter. <laughs> right? They really believe it. I wonder where they are. They shouldn't be too far yeah. from me. <laughs> Son of a T-shirt. Yeah, you, yeah, you see them. Like I'll send them Quincy. I'll send them like I wear my uh, Quincy College granite shirt right nice. now. So I'll send them. A, if you run into them, okay. I'll send. I'll send them. Love <laughs> <them out. laughs> our debt, <laughs> but like. That uh, that type of transaction at the treasury is like you're seeing people may not want to overcommit to buying large swaths of it if they think they can if you know next quarter you're going to hear rates get increased mm-hmm. now when you now that it's pretty you know, to, after some of the news that came out today it looks like rate cuts are very much on the table yeah. then I'm I want to see what that next offering is going to look like from the feds like I bet it's going to be a hungry offering people are going to try and lock in that rate mm-hmm. and never forget it's still taxable debt. So like uh, people still will price in how they think taxes are going to be in the future. We've been running some very high federal deficits, so taxes are going to go up in the future. So that might be another reason why they're a little more hawkish on it. But at the end of the day, I well, you only need to be you only need to have one level, uh, one time subscription. Mm-hmm. As long as there's a hundred percent, hundred percent people to buy it. I mean, listen, I wish I could so I could have sold all my debt <laughs> at seven times over subscription, but <laughs> I'm only allowed to sell the, the bonds I have. <laughs> What was the, okay? So that kind of answers, I guess, the the next question. I was going to ask about the Fed liquidity um, with them pulling liquidity and and shrinking their balance sheets. But if it's if everyone's got record holdings in their their war chest, it sounds like there's plenty of capacity to to take up that purchasing power that's getting left behind. Yeah, I mean, balance sheets always very weird to me. So like, I think a lot of, especially like a lot of, um, you know, I, I think a lot of modern economic theory especially on the macro side and mm-hmm. then the financial macro like financial uh, macro financial modeling and indicators and those guys are wicked interesting like they're really it is really a fascinating world those guys exist in um, i think of a lot of that has this weird obsession with like the fed balance sheet being this like indicator of liquidity in the economy um which it was up until credit cards yeah. like started existing okay <laughs> so like one dollar moving at infinite speed is the same thing as a trillion dollars moving at infinite speed right. and uh, last week during the during the Outlook forecast conference, um, one of the questions I was asked was, you know, about inflation, and it, it was less about ta- uh, tapering soft landings, but just talking about you know money printing. And I'm like, well, the U.S. doesn't practice senior rates, so like we don't print money to pay bills, like Greece used to do, and what uh, you know, like a lot of country, a lot of uh, more developing countries mm-hmm. do. Um, that's called it causes an inflation tax. Yep. Um, we have to borrow a dollar to spend a dollar, so that keeps inflation in check. It's a quite simple process that works fairly well. But I asked a weird question when I was when I was up there. I said, uh, "What happens if you print a trillion? And I asked this in my class too when I teach it. When I, when I you know, usually the first couple of weeks, um, I'll ask the kids. I'll be like, um, you know, what, what happens if you print a trillion dollars and put it in your bedroom? So in your bedroom, does, does inflation go up? You have to go get another bedroom because you're not going to be able to fit in there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, a million one dollar bills weighs a ton. Mm-hmm. So if you have a hundred million. Time. What's hundred million? Ten. Wait, a million so one dollar bills actually tons. weighs a ton. Like that's yeah. Like, that's how they. Wow. Yeah, that's how they. That's how they weigh wow. it. Um, <laughs> hundred million dollars. You have hundred dollar yeah. bills weighs one thousand pounds. So times ten. That's a billion. Times a thousand. 
So that's 10,000 tons. Yeah. Was how much a, a trillion dollars, $100 bills would probably lose my, my four probably collapse. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you have somebody to pay for it. And so I asked the classes and I asked this, um, you know, during my Q&A and I said, uh, like, what happens? And I love this question because, like, people think it's, like, some smart Alex answer I'm going to have. Like, I'm going to be, like, a jerk about it. But it's actually a very curious question macroeconomists mm-hmm. have. Um, now, I'm a, I'm a micro side guy. So I'm like, well, nothing happens. Money needs to move gonna, to yeah, generate inflation. That's going to be my answer. If it's in your bedroom, it's not doing anything because it's not in the system, right? Not doing anything. No, it's a bunch of recycled yeah. jeans with some right. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's a weird question. So, like, the the federal so i mean i've I've done this firsthand um you know i've done linear regression showing like value of dollar and deflation relative to printing and it doesn't do anything it hasn't that's what that was the problem with quantitative easing mm-hmm. it's that quantitative easing wasn't a bad idea like i don't want to like crap on the obama administration it was a hey we gotta try something we're in a you know a recession and liquidity trap that's the thing like macroeconomics really didn't exist during the great depression mm-hmm. it's really something that came out in the 40s so we like never had a chance to try avoiding a liquidity trap. Mm. So like, hey, we gave it a shot. So is this like was, and, this wasn't like the first time then, was it? Kind of was, really? yeah. Oh, like, yeah, so there's got to be some great papers on that then. Oh, there is, and they're fascinating because they're so apolitical. They're boring as hell to read. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you read a paper with a sexy title like Obama administration. It'll be like Obama administration currency demands, comma poverty. You read this like really in depth paper that never even mentions, mentions the Obama administration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, S-P-U-L-L-E-N at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. No, it's like, I wrote a, I wrote a, I'm not, I won't, I won't name drop the publication, uh, but I wrote, I, I wrote a paper one time and uh, the editor got a hold of it. Great editor. She was fantastic. A better writer than I'll be in my life. But she made a spelling error in the title. Oh, no. And the comments were brutal towards me. I, I, you, you, I work with people in the future, so I'm not going to like be like, hey, yeah. you use the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> people, it's making me look like an asshole. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one, too, because it makes you look like the bad guy. Yeah. 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 So like three weeks later, she emails me with like a huge apology. Like she, she had said it, went on vacation. But it was, dude, it was a spell on the stick I'd make. Like, don't get me wrong, but I was like, oh, I got flamed. It's like, yeah, but 58 comments. <laughs> <laughs> What was the word? What was the word that was misspelled? Make a few the wrong there. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> Not on the yeah. internet, you don't do that. <laughs> yeah, made me laugh. Yeah, so I was like, oh no, I feel so bad. I, I, and like it's funny. I don't even link that. I don't even link that article on my website. I just let that kind of die. The oh, you should have responded like... to the questions and asked them where the error was, but misspelled where. <laughs> <laughs> That's <what I'm>... <laughs> so, uh, weird, weird thing about me. So. Uh, I went to speech therapy for a large portion of my life mm-hmm. uh, for like seven years. Like I was, dude, I could not talk. You like, still uh, sound like you're from Boston. 
<laughs> yeah, no, right? Marbles in the back. No, but it was crazy. Like, I couldn't, um, like, my bro- I have an older brother who I love, and uh, he used to have to, like, translate for me. I'd be like, burr, 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 burr. He, he's four years old. Mm-hmm. We'd be at, like, 99 Restaurant, which is, like, a regional restaurant up here. I'd be like, burr, 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 burr. and then my brother would be like, yeah, he wants chicken nuggets. Um, so, <laughs> so, like, they call, they, call, like, they call my parents, and they're like, yeah, you need to take him to go get tested, because we think he, uh, there might be something wrong with him. I was like, Okay, so my mom takes me. Mm-hmm. They test me. I score like nine ninth percentile for everything. They're like, okay, yeah, that was probably a broken test or something. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, <So> like, mumbles. <laughs> it should be called mumbles. Uh, I, so they, like, you know, I always mumbled too. It was the same thing. Like always real yeah, quiet. Mumbles, stutter. Yeah. yeah, all that. Uh, so they send me back like a year later, and uh, same thing. Test. Woo, all through. All, yeah, everything's nine ninth percentile. And uh, they end up going to <laughs> the final. The doctor meets with my parents. Like, dude, he's fine. Like. Just put him in speech therapy. And uh, so like, speech therapy was like, super helpful. Mm-hmm. It was like all this stuff. I'm a, I'm a you know, big, like, big believer in stuff like that. Um, but no, it, it, it's, it's funny because like, oh, that's another thing. Like people like crap on Joe Biden all the time for like stuttering and oh, stuff. Yeah. And they'll, they'll come, like, Dude, I've been at conferences, like speaking at conferences and people have come over and said that to me. And I'm like, oh, I have a stutter. I have that same stuff. Like, can we not, did you, whether you like him or not, I became the president. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> um <laughs> Like you know, my you can probably guess my political leanings, right. but like I'm always like, dude, give, give, give the president, man. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> May um, not agree with all the presidents, yeah. but uh, you got to support them, right? Yeah. So, like, one of the things I have a hard time with is when I like, uh, like, I'll type something up, and the word R A R E in the word hour, like, I'll just write, I'll mix those up in my head because I can't, like, uh, I I always uh, I can't spell because I can't sound things out. Like, that's one of the like, speech problems I have. Uh, so I would just learn other words that are easier to spell, but like less commonly used. Huh. And my teacher oh. used to think that was like, oh, he has great vocabulary. Oh. I'm like, no, I'm lazy. <laughs> I can't spell for shit. I know exactly what you mean. I've done that before. <laughs> my weird thing with spelling is I can't do it unless I write it. I can't visualize it at all. I have to write it out. And I think that's just because I've read so many books. I can't pronounce words either. I mispronounce shit all the time. That's because I never heard it spoken out loud. I've always just read it in books. <laughs> oh yeah, like oh, I mean, a car, like one of the things I start with is like um, I don't like like I the stuff I'm, I normally talk about, you know, is, is very traditional economics and finance. Like that's my life. I talk about this all day long. Mm. But I love geopolitical stuff, and like I'm from Boston, so we're not pr- pronouncing it right either. <laughs> and then like I come, I talk to like somebody like you who you know actually speaks English or not whatever. <laughs> how we're, we're talking, we're, we're even over here. and like I'll, I'll just say words. I'm just like I I know that's not pronounced correctly. <laughs> No, I just I just give up and let them like, okay make a note <laughs> trust me my math is pretty good right, like I'm like right. solid B plus at math <laughs> it, it may sound janky but it checks out I promise yeah. <laughs> uh, but no I mean but that but that's one of the like one of the core things we talk about like Fed action is is managing monetary base and what those balance sheets look like and I think sometimes we get hesitant when we see these large balance sheets, because we think we, it's, we're associated with like hyperinflation that you mm-hmm. see in like Argentina and stuff like that. Um, where it's just not like, it, it, as long as we're using dollars that are borrowed against actual currency to pay bills, we, we're not going to experience hyperinflation. In fact, we've experienced inflation at a way lower rate than the rest of the world. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to talk about because it's like, well, actually globally, we're in a deflationary period for the dollar. The dollar's appreciating. And it's like, yeah, but my dollars are buying less. And that's like, I always tell people like, I'm not here to argue with you what, what what you feel. Like I don't want people thinking that I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to oh actually we only have an annualized five percent point five percent inflation rate. So uh, I know that your dollars are buying less groceries, but the economy's fine. It's like well, no, like 
kind of being a jerk. <laughs> uh, I think economists, we do that sometimes. I, I think, like, actually, I think newer economists, we don't do that as much. But we'll just be like, actually, the economy's great. It's like, I can't afford gas. It's right. like, shut up. <laughs> the economy doesn't care about what you think. The economy is all of you, not just one person. Yeah, yeah. right. And, uh, but that is something you do a really so, good but, job of, though. You, uh, I think you are one of the few that does try to keep in mind that all those statistics are people and lives. And you keep that in mind when you talk about it. Yeah, I mean, my and, and that comes to my mentor in economics. He was always telling me, like, when you look at unemployment numbers, if that number goes down, celebrate mm-hmm. that. That's somebody who found a job. Like, yeah. Poverty rates declining, even even a tenth of percent represents millions of people yeah. who now know where their next meal is coming from. And one of the things we do in economics, I, yeah, I, I, like I love my field, I really do, I, is that. But one of the things I really strive to try and engage with more is making this what it is, mm-hmm. which is economics is common sense. It's a common sense in a language we don't understand. And like my job is to be a translator because the average person's smart. The average person knows about their own economy. I mean, like that's the best part of being an Austrian is that I believe that, hey. You can take the best economists in the world, take the best economists at Harvard and put them in a room and they're not better at picking which car to buy right. than, the do, than the small business owner who's sitting on some Chevy lot. And we just sum up all those people, all those guys buying stuff on Chevys, all, you know, all the ladies buying, I, I grew up with all dudes, I have no idea what women, I yell to my wife, see what she buys, she buys a lot of crochet. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> combined, combined all those right. things. And that's the economy. The economy is made up of a bunch of rational people who are making decisions based on what's important, not on some like crazy macroeconomic indicator or the data that I like to talk mm-hmm. about. I always think of it, the data is not what's making decisions. The data is the result of the decisions that were made by the average person. And mm. I want to that's respect that. I want to respect the brilliant economists that walk around. That's here. an important distinction to make too. Yeah. So what I like to say is like the data I talk about, I'm synthesizing what the, what the opinions mm-hmm. are around here. And I think... And that's why I do think it's funny that we talk about doom and gloom. Right. Like, oh, the economy's been horrible. Well, I'm like, well, actually, I don't think you believe that, average Joe, John Q. Public. I don't think you believe that. Because I see disposable income up. I see higher consumption. I see more durable goods sold. I see cars selling at all-time prices. I see you taking out loans. Mm-hmm. You don't believe that, John Q. Public. It's one of those things where it's like, you just want to say that to your buddy. I think the economy's doing bad. It's like, this is a nice new car you have. And didn't you switch jobs recently? And your real, your, your, your income, weekly income's up. Oh, yeah, but like, you know, the economy's doing bad. I'm like, well, well you don't believe that. I think you're lying right, to me. Right? You just a little bit lying to me. <laughs> why do you, why no, is you, there, you, why is everybody so doom and gloom then? Is it all just headlines or are there other things that people point to? We are, because here, here's the thing we're just scared apes. Yeah. That's what we are. We're scared, hairless apes. And at one point, Homo sapien first, or the Homo genius, stood up, you know, five to seven million years ago. All right. And the only reason that ape got to breed with another ape is because he got scared of something rustling in the bushes. The, the guy who wasn't scared of something rustling in the bu- bushes became food for some right. saber-toothed tiger or whatever. Um, so we, we have, we have and this is a real thing, we have a negativity bias. Like, it's it's like we make decisions because we're inherently scared. Mm-hmm. And that bleeds over into all social sciences. And that bleeds over into economics. That people make decisions because p- people are you're more likely to feel scared about something. Um, right. Which is why, like, I, I always use that analogy like I use there. Like, more people die from being afraid of flying than from flying. Well, what's the other statistic that fear is, like, three times stronger than greed as far as emotions go? Which makes <laughs> sense, too, because which is a scarier situation, to have no food or to have too much food? Yeah, yeah. right. And it's, um, you know, one of the things, like, I love behavioral economics. Um, and one of the things behavioral economics is really good at doing is creating these experimental models where we say just how much, how scared are people? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the great ones they do is... Um, you know, people are more people are more adverse to losing something, getting something. 
the idea of losing ten thousand dollars is way scarier than the idea of winning ten thousand yeah. dollars, even if it's the same odds. Um, but one of the things they actually did is they they looked at this study where it's okay. Um, I forget. I, I should really know where the economist. I'm pretty sure it's UNC Chapel Hill, which is an excellent economic school, probably one of the best mm-hmm. in the country. Where they looked at people, and this is before the pandemic. This is a couple of years before the pandemic. They looked at people's willingness to engage with an effective, um, with an effective virus. Okay. How much would you have to pay somebody into a room where they have a ten percent chance of being infected by a disease that's ten percent deadly? So a one percent chance of right. death. And what they found is that people were horrible at pricing that. That there wasn't this like nice small curve that people tended, uh, people really irrationally over. And it sounds horrible, but overpriced right. that. So you ever hear one of those things like, oh, the average person's worth like, it gets priced out, their life's worth $14 million. Yeah, yeah. it comes uh, from the, isn't that from like OSHA or something? Like for the death and yeah. penalty payment? Yeah. Yeah. So do you know how they got that day, that number? Uh, didn't have something to do with like their lifetime potential earnings and then uh, some other yeah. some other things that factor into that? Yeah. yeah no. So you hit around the head, lifetime potential earnings and you're likely to die at a job. So how much more money do I have to pay you for a 1% increase that you're going to enter an occupation that you're likely to mm-hmm. die at? Um, and then if you did 100 of those percents, you'd get one life, guaranteed death, mm-hmm. and that's how much income it would be, which works out to about 14 huh. million. Um, I believe about 14 million. Uh, so it's extrapolation. Actu- actuaries are awesome. God, like I they, love that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, isn't it wild? But, uh, you you like, inoffensively come up with how much somebody values their right. life. And what we saw is that people were like willing to walk into that room for like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars 20000 And it's like, well, actually, statistically, you've 1% of uh 14 million it's like one hundred forty thousand dollars. if people were entering it at not even 10 percent of that huh. and it's like we're really bad at knowing risk we're really bad at quantifying risk as we're doing interesting huh and then we saw that during the pandemic i mean people were p- taking riskier behavior we see that with current vaccines we see people taking riskier behavior that really can't super be explained mm-hmm. um because we're just weird apes i say this all the time we're myopic scared hairless weak <laughs> apes <laughs> and we're all the same like i'm not like one thing i love about economics is that we just accept that all people are the same like there's no difference between anybody anywhere in the world we all want the same thing warmth food love and uh, a little more money than we had before right? yeah. economists are the true colorblind profession <laughs> one of my one of my favorite things just like we love talking about history so uh, this guy dr abrams one of my favorite people in the world like one of the interesting economists ever lived and uh, he was a Jewish man uh, in Hungary during uh, the 30s. That's not a good time. Not a super good time. Not not the best time. I can think of a few other things I'd rather be in yeah. other times. And he wanted to, he was a brilliant mathematician. Brilliant mathematician. And he wanted to, to be a mathematician. But it was very anti-Semitic times. So he went to, uh, I think it was Vienna. And again, it was very... Uh, Testamentic, except the econ department was like, yeah, sure, you can join us. And he was like, I didn't like economics. Like, what you, I want to be a mathematician, not an economist. Yeah. And this is the thirty, so like macroeconomics doesn't exist. Like, we're just a bunch of nerds without computers trying to do math. Right, like, right. we're not. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. Uh, so, so they join him. He flees during World War II, and he's where we come up with survivor bias because he was like, I want to do something to help win World War II, and he started analyzing damaged planes coming back, and everybody was putting more armor where the holes on the damaged planes that returned were mm-hmm. coming. And he was like, no, no, don't put the armor there. The planes that returned with those holes in them is where the plane could get shot and still return. Ah. Put the armor on the places that haven't been shot. And I love the idea that like you have this 
this brilliant man mm-hmm. who was per- persecuted because of his his religion, who just like fled to America as an economist and somehow like made B seventeen more deadly. <laughs> like, yes, like yes. That oh, that, I just listened to a fascinating uh, uh, story. I can't. I, it had to have been like a time suck or something like that, where they were talking about like where the the Jew banker like stereotype comes from, and it's it's super fascinating. It, it all stems from this period in time where many lenders was not allowed, like because of what was written in the Bible. So what they did yep. was to get around that, they just let Jewish people lend money and let them handle their money. So that way they would go to hell, not the person letting him be their go between. But they got really good at it, yeah. obviously. And then now you're trying to give them shit for forcing them into this field that they got good at and successful. And now you want to crap on them because they, they took a shitty situation and made something great out of it like it blows my mind oh yeah it's weird because it's like both in the quran and in mm-hmm. the bible um you talk about usury usury to yes brother, yes and you can't yep. do that so the islamic world still has this like they'll do stuff where like oh you uh, i'll buy i'm not joking but like to buy a sheet from somebody for like an obscene price and then you'll sell the sheet back to me for like 10 percent more than that um <laughs> so yeah yeah, a lot of reasons why a lot of uh you know middle eastern countries haven't evolved in levant area countries is that banking is really good at evolving but I remember one time I got asked this. I was on a different podcast. And they were, we have a separate conversation. And I was like, they're like, oh, why, why do you think these stereotypes exist? And, you know, it's a sensitive discussion. Like, I'm, I'm very, I, I think I mentioned it before, Kyle. Like, I'm really, um, I'm a practicing Catholic. Mm-hmm. So, like, religion is something I think very serious. And uh, I said, I was like, because you need to be literate to be a Jewish man for the last 5,000 years. And people are like, okay. They're waiting for a follow-up. And I'm like, no, no, that, that's it. <laughs> even before. Because, <laughs> Kyle, you're right. That's why I became, like. Banking, that's where they got so heavily involved in banking mm-hmm. is that they were basically similar to things like my last name's Mason. Like, if you go back far enough, you're going to find somebody working right, with the right, stone. Right, right, <laughs> like, uh, But I, uh, I said that, and they, it was weird. It was a very weird podcast. They were a nice group of people. They, they're not like you, Kyle. They got like a flow. They know what their, client, what, what their listener base mm-hmm. wants. They were one of those, like, they were, they were a company made a podcast. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 Where you like just stuck very some people weird. together who didn't really know each other. Yeah, it was very awkward. They didn't, they weren't conversational and like they weren't expert. Like Kyle, like you and I consider talking about a bajillion different things and history and finance and economics and have a fun yeah. time. These these are like it was just weird. It's like they they found like the best looking people in their marketing department <laughs> and like told them to start a podcast. And I was like, Get the Backstreet Boys oh, okay. to go. Like, I, right? I'm like, I got to face like Abraham Lincoln. Like I know. Like we like this is like come on, man. Um, very weird. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, and they were kind of perplexed by it. I'm like, oh no, good think of it. Like global, we still don't have global literacy. Yeah. Like you're taking a group of people and teaching them how to read. They're going to be, fuck, 4,000 4, BC, the people walking around knowing to read because you have to read the Torah mm-hmm. to, uh, what do you call it? You have to, not 4,000 years ago, it's like 2,000 to 3,000 right. years ago. You had to read the Torah to be a man. So like think of like how beneficial reading is to your economy growing. Right. <laughs> 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 like, like, oh, I remember it was very funny. The host was like, oh. They, they never, they, they recorded uh, like 15 episodes. Yeah. None of them ever made it out. Because oh. I'm, I'm assuming it got to somebody like like you who actually knows what these are supposed to look like. <laughs> very funny. But, uh, editing's not going to save that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. oh, it, it was fun. I got, like, I don't get compensated for this stuff, so I love it. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, this is no, no, no big deal. Uh, I, this I can't wait out. to tell my wife, though, because <laughs> I never made that connection. That's, that's brilliant, though. The fact that they're literate. Yeah, of course they're going to be successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm huge leg up on everyone around you yeah so i'm talking so i'm not joking the host asked me well do you think literacy is a good driver of economic growth yes like, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yes. And they're like, oh, why? And I'm like, well, are you familiar with the concept of books? <laughs> Your knowledge comes from? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, well, 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 if people can read, they can read. I didn't think I was going to have to. Like, I'm usually pretty good at, like, I'm not the best being okay, explaining on. stuff. I'm usually pretty me, good at explaining stuff. Let's ask ChatGPT. He can explain why the benef- what are the benefits oh. of reading. <laughs> Love ChatGPT. Uh, I got... Uh, I use ChatGPT all oh the time. Premium ChatGPT is a great invention. Um, incredible. With like the kind of stuff you can awesome. do with it now. It's writing my show descriptions now. Dude, this, I this love is, it. That's, like, <laughs> that's like the worst uh, part of uh, doing these is trying to remember what we said like two weeks ago and I'm like trying to put it out. Like, ah, damn it, I got to go back and listen to it again. <laughs> I, I don't get this like anti-ChatGPT sentiment, like this, this like Luddite. Um, are, you, are you a teacher? You? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, dude, I have, I have kids use ChatGPT in my yeah. class. Yeah, I'm like, this is the future. Learn this. I, I think this is bullshit. So I know how to code in a couple different languages. <clears throat> and if I stop breaking out our programming, I write an RDD regression. People think I'm like, right, man, like this guy's brilliant. But if I do that with a language module, suddenly I'm lazy. And I'm like, mm, what's the difference? Like, I'm still learning. It, it, it seems to be the same. Like, seems that nobody with ChatGPT isn't going to take your job. Somebody with ChatGPT is going to take a job. So kids in my class, I'm like, learn to use yes. this. Learn to learn, Learn to use this immediately. But, this is a good tool. Also, R, learn just this. learn how to change some words around a little bit or make it sound like you. That's oh, the yeah. only thing. <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm a huge I, I mean, I'm a huge pusher. Like I, like I just want the kids mm-hmm. to learn. Like it. I, I know that sounds weird to call that a pushover, but like I'm just like <clears throat> if you can show me you're learning. Like I'm an easy professor. Like you will get good grades. You will. You, you may not get an A. You have to earn mm-hmm. an A, but you sure as hell get a B. Yeah. Like and I give a lot of extra credit. But I get so I'm so such a jerk with plagiarism. Yeah. I'm just that's like, just laziness. Like, I'm just, just just reword it. That's all you have to do. <laughs> I, like the, the line between plagiarism and paraphrasing is so thin that it's purely laziness. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, uh, I, like I've had so many students who are just I've noticed who are just excellent at paraphrasing and they get A's and I'm like, because great, that's how the real world works. It's just like. What, we, it, what, in the real world, it's all about synth- synthesizing data, and that's what paraphrasing helps you do. I so you've been using so, so are you using ChatGPT on the creative process too? Uh, we use it for the creative process. We use it to help craft rejection awesome. letters when you got somebody that we don't want to talk to. <laughs> I use it for uh, helping me write Python scripts to try to analyze stock market data. Yeah, dude, that's piss up. That's absolutely so. Like, okay, okay, not, not to flip the script on you. You can throw me off. This is you. You can write me one of your rejection letters. Um, <laughs> Walk me through this. Okay, so you use Python for analyze. So, like, if you're trying to look at, like, uh, so if you're trying to look at stuff on the options side, are you, like, using it to help calculate parities? Options, not necessarily right now. Uh, with uh, Python, you get access to, like, Y Finance data, which is basically, like, stock market data. It's going to be open, closed, high, low, um, that kind of price history. So you can do a lot of different, like, analysis like well we've been diving into quarterly theory right now like the idea that the markets could be divided up into four quarters uh for like the year can be divided up into four monthly quarters uh you know the the seasons uh you can divide the month up into four weekly quarters or four weeks divide the week up into four days which is monday through thursday and you can divide the day up into the overnight the london sessions the euro sessions the new york am new york pm and then you can even keep going even deeper in that if you want to into like fractals of that but uh, the one of the things we've been we've been looking at, I've been helping Baba Yaga with, is is collecting some statistics over like when Monday sets a higher high than Friday, then which day of the week is more likely to set the low, or what it which day is more likely to set the high, and we can go and pull you know like twenty years worth of data really quickly using a Python script, analyzing that data. 
awesome, isn't it? That is amazing. I know. So like, I mean, this is this is this is the best part about stuff like this. Like, I, I love uh, you know, I'm a nerd. I love application. Like, yeah. See, because economists, we're just observers. Mm-hmm. Like, we're we're the aliens in some weird spaceship looking down down. Like, ooh, what's going on over there? Right. So did you find like somebody like you actively engaged in it? I'm, I'm so curious about this. So like, I love the idea of like breaking down quarters because like we have this thing rdd regression discontinuity design mm-hmm. where we look for these like idiosyncrasies that exist between periods mm-hmm. with that uh and how dramatic changes like for example the presence of a, of a high's high mm-hmm. would be like we, we might call that discontinuity observe what happens after and before that that leads up to it so like when you're when you're playing around with this um your granulation like how, how you could dive infinitely like you were saying on this where, where are you finding the sweet spot is it is it quarterly data is it weekly data but divided into quarters like uh, we feel comfortable with it you'd have to probably talk to baba to really get a better answer on that um i tend to spend most of my time looking at more of the sessions like the six hour sessions of the day um but because that's the time frame that i'm trying to trade on so it makes sense to look at it through that lens but i also need to pay attention to uh the other quarters preceding it because like you said the quarter q1 is what's going to set the stage for the rest of the quarters that follow Q1 accumulates or reverses or continues. Then you have a period of uh, either accumulation or manipulation, then a distribution, and then process repeats itself. So if you can identify the pattern on the start of the week, uh, and then, or at least the start of the quarter, then you should be able to kind of predict what has a higher likelihood of happening further on down the line as the the other quarters are set. That's fascinating. Oh, you, oh, you hit yeah. As an economist, I've always just said, I focus on the sessions because that's when I trade. Mm-hmm. That is the most like beautiful sentiment. Like again, <laughs> I miss the parts of the trees all the time. That's oh, that is fascinating. I love that. That is such an interesting like yeah. And again, this is a new thing that I'm diving into. So uh, forgive me if I'm butchering it, but we'll probably have to get you on a roundtable then. Let you pick Baba Yaga's mind. Baba Yaga, Mister Banks, they're the ones who've been developing this this idea um, through some of the stuff they've learned from like ICT and a bunch of other places. Oh, good at Matt. Oh, that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I love this. The application, like, is just beautiful on it. Um, is this like a pop, a more popular strategy? Not a more popular. But is I this, am not seeing too many or? people talking about it. Uh, some of the stuff that those guys are putting together, though, is pretty, pretty impressive looking. Some of the results that they've they've tossed out. Yeah, I see. I'm one of those people where um, I, I always find I hate just the overall like blanketing everything as day trading and i'm like well no there's so many different strategies it's hard to call it like one thing i'm like <laughs> like that's me like investing it's like well, yeah, well, there's bonds there's equities right. there's uh, positions you can take venture capitalism um, there's <laughs> oh real quick i'll tell you something just not not to sidetrack too much but i was uh which we've are, i've already horribly driven this show <laughs> off this man of course we're gonna end up start like beginning where we started right uh ending where we started oh it'll be beautiful uh, if we do <laughs> <laughs> circles uh, uh it's uh so i'm talking to uh a couple months ago i was at a conference and uh i sit down and you know this this gentleman sitting beside me we were shooting the shit and he works for he, an older gentleman he founded a vc capital firm uh back in the 70s mm-hmm. that he's been running since then i'm like first off you uh probably have a lot nicer suit i'm pretty sure this dude's suit costs more than my, my oh, college I'm degree sure. like, <laughs> he was so interesting like i'm not a conference guy i don't like being around people mm-hmm. but this was like so interesting to sit and talk. And he was telling me that venture capital firms are having a hard time investing in this market. I'm like, really? We were talking. I was on. I was on a panel later on that day, so I was like, I'm just gonna, like, you know, I, I, I think like I'm one of those guys where if I'm part of a conference, 
especially in person i'm gonna go the whole time because i have like a lot of respect for organizing that mm-hmm. a lot of, like like people put a lot of work into that and if you're gonna if they're nice enough to invite you there you should definitely stay there i'm a big believer in that so i'm talking to this guy we're, we're going back and forth and um he says to me he goes yeah we're having a really hard time because this is one of the most difficult times to be a venture capitalist i'm going dude i'm a, I'm a, I'm a public sector guy so to me i don't even know what that means but right. i'm going like walk me through this so interest rates or... that. so that's what i thought i was like oh interest rates are high but he goes eh, it's not really the interest rates like you know back in the 80s we, we had high interest rates we made it work and i'm mm-hmm. like well, yeah because you know it's like new technology popping up and he stopped me after i said the word new technology he goes the growth of new technology in the 80s was about storage was about hardware was about capacity like, okay yeah. i'm like leaning in like i'm a, yeah i'm a I'm a lanky guy, so when I lean in, I'm like, I'm like a giraffe trying to jump out of a river. And um, so I'm sitting there. He goes, with the rise of AI, he goes, that's the next venture capital hurdle. He goes, A, we have to suss out. He didn't use the word suss, but he goes, we have to, you know, investigate these firms really well to know what they're doing. He goes, a lot of us got bit during the dot-com bubble, and we're not going to let that happen again. And then he goes, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, they're going to let it happen yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> he may not, but like, yeah. like people, people are people. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're all, we're, we're all scared, hairless apes. Right. Uh, so he says to me, he goes, so much of this innovation is not capital anymore. I go, okay. And I'm a labor economist. So I'm liking what I'm hearing. Cause I know I'm not a smart man, but I know there's labor and there's capital. And you're not, if you're not capital, mm-hmm. you gotta be the other guy. He says, it's not about, the tools it's about the person who wields them he goes the growth of ai has been driven by programmers have been driven by people using the same using similar software um like complex algorithmic softwares that are just moving horizontal as opposed to moving vertically and he goes how do you invest in the person like how do i how do i take a venture labor position and as a history guy, I'm like, ooh, venture labor sounds like something that somebody would use of a euphemism for slavery. So I'm yeah. like, yeah, I can see what your point there is. <laughs> but it was fascinating. <laughs> you can leave that in if you want. I, don't I, know how that's I have to. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, but that is a fascinating just, problem, though, because you know, right. the tool itself, AI, the chatbots or chat GPT is useless without the actual user knowing how to actually implement and type in. Because, like, you know, you used it like you got to know how to ask the question. Like it's it's garbage in, garbage out if you don't know how to phrase things or reword it or. It was. Uh, so I, I was in there going. He, so he goes, he was telling me that he was at a, he was at a conference. Uh, I keep saying conference off conference. And so I go to, I know she don't go to that many conferences. Just all really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cause I'm, I'm a weirdo. Like I love talking to people yeah. and I, I find people interesting. Like, like I'll, uh, I'll just like ask very, I don't, you know, it's weird. Like I don't, I love sports. I, I watch a lot of sports. I watch all stupid shit too. Like I'm, I'm one of those guys. Like I'm like, I have no, I'm the bit most basic person you've ever met in your life. I'm going to like, after this, I'm just going to rewatch Brooklyn nine, nine for the 800th oh, time. Such a good show. Uh, oh, you should yeah. check out Silicon Valley. If you haven't seen that one yet. Ooh, I haven't. Okay. I'll check. Yeah. I'll, I'll take your suggestion. got the first season done and we blitzed right through it. It was freaking hilarious. It oh yeah. <laughs> it's about a VC like startup, a uh, guy who like writes this new compression algorithm and then just, it's it's like Big Bang Theory if they were actual nerds. <laughs> uh, but I just love poking and prodding people, just trying to figure out what makes it. everybody's because you think of it like 
every day is a life full of experiences. Every life's interesting. Yeah. Not to get too philosophical, but everything. The no, longest I, life in the world is fascinating. I, I agree with you 100% of it. I, yeah. I, I don't say people, though. I say a person is interesting. People get together, <laughs> then they turn into... I don't like being around that. I love chatting with the person one-on-one because, like you said, he learns crazy stories about... Everyone's got something right. interesting about them. Yeah. And he was telling me that one of he was when he was out down when he was down in texas that he went to this group that was hosting a seminar and they were talking about basically forming firms mm-hmm. that use experts and lease out the experts time almost like fraction uh, you probably, have you heard of like fractional cfos like that 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 movement over the last no. like five, ten years? well you can pay for I mean, half of a ceo and he'll spend half his time running your company and half his time running another one yeah sounds like a and, good deal for him <laughs> yeah so like that's one of those weird things where like i've been approached a few times like oh do you want to be a fractional cfo and i'm like can you like walk me through what that means They're like well you'd be this you would you know they take smaller size companies on growth stages like pre like you know pre-series uh usually it's like pre-series b like mm-hmm. they usually already have a funding offering and you'd come in and be like you need to do x y and z and then leave then come back so like you'd be 0.2 times cfo and i'm like no, i don't know how that like i'm sure those companies work well mm-hmm. like don't get me wrong but like as a CFO of an organization that spends four hundred to five hundred million dollars a year, you need to be intimate with that. Like, yeah. like I know my books. When I go on my bond rating call, I don't prepare for it. Like, I don't write down my list. And people will always say to me, like, I'll be on these calls for two, three hours, and they'll say, like, how'd you answer all those questions without preparing? I'm like, I'm preparing all the time. I know my books inside and out. I, right. I don't need to prepare because I'm doing this all the time. Um, I don't know how you go through a growth phase of a company with some dude who's who's there just showing up two weeks out of the year. Week. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like I don't, oh, that, that freaks me out. But he was telling me these venture capital firms are trying to pivot. And it's funny because you think of venture capital as this innovative innovative industry, but it's really not. It, it, it's had the same model for 50 years. It hmm. just invests in innovative committees. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all the same thing. It's it's a large sum of money, very detailed technical investors who um, analyze these companies and figure out their worth. And then invest them. And they've been repeating this process for 50 years. They're not flexible themselves. I'm like, that is fascinating. Mm. It's like, and so now these firms are trying to innovate and they're trying to hire at crazy salaries, like expert coders and analysts and all this stuff, and then lease out their time. And I'm like, wow, we're going to see a pivot where venture capitalism like doesn't exist or exists in a different form? Are we on the verge of that? Wait, you mean like the company themselves, like leasing out their high cost employees? Yes, that's brilliant. Right, I'm like, oh, that's a smart because they're venture capitalists. Yeah. They're smart people. Like they're, they're trying and they're trying to survive, but they're like, you don't need any hardware for ChatGPT. Like you don't. Right. And I'm like, oh, these people. Are like, huh. You guys are really smart. <laughs> like, I'm happy you guys are in our economy. <laughs> like, I would think of this. I wouldn't have thought of that. I'd have been kind of pissed at the idea. So imagine you're getting yeah. a you know a smaller check too to go with that. Yeah, and so they provide all these benefits, and they provide bonus pay, and all this crazy stuff. Hmm. And um, but yeah, and they pick which companies that they think are going to expand. They then give them the talent to expand for a percent of their company, and go from there. And I'm like, ooh, that is wicked smart. Yeah. No, what what are the funny parts? I was talking to my bond council today. I love my. We have the best bond council like in the country. They do excellent stuff. They mm-hmm. they they're just really smart. And we we're just like I. I'm one of those because I've been in public sector my entire life is full disclosure. Like I tell everybody everything. Like I'm like, 
like I've had constituents come to my office and be like, wow, you're really transparent. I'm like, yeah, it's a public dollar. It's not my money. Like I'm a steward of it. This is your money. Right. Like, you, like do you have, do you have the banking? Do you have a banking app on your phone? Like, yeah, I go, I'm a human banking app. Like, like just please don't poke me. But otherwise, like, I'm really yeah. <laughs> like, you don't have to log like, in. I'm a big, yeah, like, I'm a big believer that like we need to be transparent with public dollars. Like it's just, why, why not? Well, and like, again, I've, been, I've only been in the public sector for my, for my career. So, to me, it's like second nature. Probably be less critical of the public sector if more people thought like you. Right. Like two things I always say, like the public, ha- the public has not only the, should not just have the ability, but the right mm-hmm. to access information. In the press, you should, like the press should not have to follow information requests and public record requests. They should, the press should be treated differently. They should have more access to stuff because a free press is very important to transparency. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I like taxation is borderline theft, and if we're taking those <laughs> dollars, we should really be doing uh, doing something. Um, I'll tell you one of my like. I think there's a series of things that one day, if I ever decide, if I ever you know take a more public position, that will be thrown in my face. And uh, I was speaking at a conference one time, probably three four years ago. No, 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 no. That's probably like about a year ago, maybe a year ago. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it was a panel discussion. We were talking. Had people. It was a. It was like a West Coast conference, and I'm talking up there, and uh, they were talking about pension funds. It was a bunch of people from the private sector, and we had done one of the largest pension obligation bonds. I had an article published in The Hill that got like a poop ton of views and stuff like that. So it was fun. It was a good conversation. I like talking about pensions. And uh, so as I'm talking up there, I go, somebody, somebody, I forget what the exact question was, but it was asking me about like the stewardship of pension funds. And I go, you know, I take pension funds very serious um, because what we're doing, these are public workers. These are blue collar workers. Mm-hmm. They are fixing sewer pipes when they blow up. They are teaching our kids. They are, you know, they're, they're police officers or firefighters. Um, these aren't people who have a high risk tolerance and should have to worry about risk aversion and stuff like that. And I go, we have a trade-off. I, I go, I take 11% of their pay. That's a lot of money. 11% is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I take that. I take food off their table. I take shoes off the kids' feet. And I take that money and I invest it. And I say, I say to them, I make a promise to them that when your body's failing, 40 years from now when your body's failing, when you can't work, you literally can't work anymore, that I turn around and say, thank you. Thank you for your diligence and your trust. Here's money to make sure, the, the money you gave me to invest, I've been studious with it. Mm-hmm. I've been custodial. And I have returned more than what you gave me. So please take this. And, uh, and I, I believe that's a big responsibility. And I think uh, my pension system is going to outlive me. Mm-hmm. It's going to outlive me. I'll, I'll be dead long. Hopefully, Hopefully, it will all be better. dead long <laughs> before this. Right? And um, and I think about everybody who's paying in for it. Everybody who's people who aren't even alive who are going to pay into that. Um, and they provide goods and services. And, and we, we turn we turn back and say, "Here you go. Thank you. Thank you for trusting me with this money. This is an incredible responsibility we have." Um, and I believe I, I believe that core of my heart. And so I say that, and they're like, "Oh, you know." And I end it. I go, and that's why I believe that anybody who messes with the pension fund should face capital punishment. <laughs> yeah so dead silence after i say that i'm like oh yeah and then i get a bunch of laughs and i was like oh my god thank god <laughs> i like it's like, a oh moment there like, oh. like, <laughs> I, I just don't like the idea of like people who take that responsibility like flippantly yeah. like dude you you're literally dead, you read these horror stories of the people who mismanage pension funds and i'm like Dude, you're not fucking. You're not. You're fucking with livelihoods. Yeah, yeah. But uh, who's that guy with crazy hair who just got sentenced like 
2,500 years in jail for fucking with that cryptocurrency. Oh, uh, Sam uh, Bankman Fried. Yeah, thank you. Wait, <laughs> fuck, way too many names. Like, dude, yeah. Cut, like, yeah. Eric Mason, nine letters, quick, we're in and out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, you know, it's not like you're fucking with speculative investors. Like, you're fucking with somebody who teachers gave teachers like police officers like these people should not have to worry about adverse economic positions like you should be i'm militant when it comes to this like like, that is a sacred trust and not like i I say it all the time anywhere like i don't not to say that i take it like religiously but there's parables explicitly on that Mm -hmm. and i think it's like i view it in the sense of like it's a duty to be given this it's not cool like who doesn't like to say, yeah, I have a, you know, we have a billion dollar pension fund. Our retirement system does a great job. It has a billion dollars in it. That's really cool. And I love that the people who manage our retirement system, the the, the, the city side people, the, the the retirement board, like they care. Mm-hmm. Like they, they care. And I'm like, that's a serious thing because the amount of pension fraud I read about, it's just sad. Like you're stealing money from somebody who's destroyed their body over their career, who cannot earn money again. They traded you. They traded you that future secure their body today for future financial security. I'm like, if you fuck with that, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. It should be pre-treated as such. Like, I'll come on to the, the capital punishment side of that argument. I'll, I'll join you over there. <laughs> it's funny because I, I don't believe in capital punishment. It's no, not like really either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dude it was scary that like that like half second yeah after i said the joke i was like oops <laughs> like <laughs> i've had those moments <laughs> like i think i because i didn't mean what i said jokingly like the we should be studious of this we should be taken incredibly serious i think i got them to lean in too much yeah it just when I said the joke, shocked like, them a little bit <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no it's just sad when you see people yeah. use systems like that just very sad well, I mean, that's a, that's a very powerful message, though, and I think that's probably a good spot to leave this on, because otherwise we'll be we'll be here for another hour. I don't want to take up all your time. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, I love talking to you. Know, I know. That's so much fun having you here. We're going to have to do this again. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to get you on a roundtable one of these days. We do those live on yeah. Fridays um, at 9. Uh, yeah, absolutely. try to set one of those up. Uh, yeah, but fortunately, uh, we have come to the end of our time, but... It's okay, because we have uh, multiple episodes with Eric in the backlog, and he'll definitely be on again very soon. have those links in the episode description. We will be back soon with another exciting episode, but until then, support your local economists, share this episode with your (laughs) friends, and have a great holidays. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only, does not constitute financial or investment advice, and should not be construed as such. The hosts, guests, and contributors of this podcast are not licensed financial advisors, brokers, or professionals. Any trading or investment decisions made based on the content of this podcast are solely at the listener's discretion and risk. Trading and investing in financial markets carry inherent risks and past performance is not indicative of future results. Listeners should conduct their own research and seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any financial decisions. The views, opinions, and information shared in this podcast are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the podcast creators or associated organizations. Produced by China Shop Productions.